if we can't live in peace, then let us die in peace. Jim Jones. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. It is another episode of Balonious Pundits. I am your jovial host, Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, your other jovial host, please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. AJ. I'm a grumpy, grumpy gush. I'm not a jovial at all. <laughs> no, I'm quite jovial. I am happy because... We have finally hit one of uh, the Touchpoint episodes of this series. And that would be, of course, shout out to the late, great Luke Perry. Here we are. Yes, indeedy. Boy, what an episode. We'll, we will get into it shortly. But first, a reminder for all of you out there that, that are listening, that this is a podcast about the television program, Criminal Minds. Uh, each week, we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I haven't seen these shows before, before, you know, we watch them for each week. So I'm coming at it from that perspective. And AJ has seen each and every episode, as he indicated earlier, many times. And uh, he is what we would call our grizzled veteran of the Criminal Minds viewership. Is that what we would call you? (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) I mean, you're getting closer and closer to just calling me CBS's average age viewer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This week, yes, a a pivotal episode of the show. It's uh, season four, episode three, and the episode title is Minimal Loss. This episode was written by Andrew Wilder and directed by Felix Alcala. It originally aired on October 8th, 2008. And AJ, I'm going to workshop a new segment here. Let's see if it's as successful as my uh, What Happened on That Day segment (laughs) that that I was doing for a bit. I'm eagerly anticipating. (laughs) This is Alternative Show Titles. What would I have called this episode? Okay, okay. And you can, and you, if you have another name, you can call it something too. Uh, but since I'm springing this on you, I don't expect you to right now. But my title for this episode would have been Compound Interest. <laughs> Compound Interest. Very, very nice. Um, you know, that's going to be hard to beat, even if I had brainstormed <laughs> for this one. Uh, we, we, we can go with uh, uh, 3 a.m. Not so eternal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. That might be a fun little bit. Let's see how long it goes. <laughs> so well, I'm going to get I'm going to give it that much thought each week because it's much more fun that way. <laughs> perfect. So uh, let's get into it. The uh, show starts out. We have the reporter who's coming to us live. From, <laughs> is, he coming, is he coming to us live from like 1980? What's with the Vic 20 graphics? <laughs> yeah. It's, you, you really, well, what was the name of this network? I usually count on you for that. It was like any 
it was just some silly non-existent network. Yeah, and I think it was Channel Eight Bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's coming to us live from La Plata County, Colorado, eight one three zero one. A reporter is giving was that, a. What, what was that? Was that your d d d d d d d d reference there? Yes, indeed, it was. <laughs> All right, beautiful. <laughs> a reporter is giving a tense report about the fate of the women, children, and FBI agents inside some building, and he's looking back at him. It's very uh, cinema verite, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> or very I know, <laughs> I know i know i was seeing if you would catch that okay yeah, whatever, and, whatever. and uh we hear an explosion and see a large cgi fireball in the background it actually looked like it was directly cut and paste from the season opener for this season from the uh explosions in new york the quality was uh somewhat old-fashioned compared to today's uh, CGI. Indeed. And uh, we get a Chiron come up on the screen that says three days earlier. Three days earlier, after, of course, the reporter does the thing that no reporter would ever actually do in real life. Are you getting this? Are we getting it? Yes, you're getting it. Actually, what, his, what in real life would be going, holy mother, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now we see a car driving along a road while it's driving, we hear this creepy 911 call it's from apparently a 15-year-old girl, and she's describing sexual abuse from someone who is claiming that it's all God's will. And this girl is saying she's not the only one. Please help her. Yeah, although let's be honest that the, the obviously you've seen the episode now, and you're, you're gonna you're gonna know that it's not the 15-year-old girl who makes the call. It's actually a, a much older person. There's no way in heck I would have believed that that was a 15-year-old girl. That voice was clearly uh, a 40-year-old chain smoker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's got 15, and uh, daddy's doing bad things. <laughs> yeah, we uh, zoom into the car, and we see Reed and Prentice are in the car with uh, our local police person. I, I'm not sure exactly what her exact title was i'm calling her detective just for the well no she's actually not a detective she's a social worker oh she really is a social worker yeah she's actually oh okay yeah no this is not an undercover operation that's the whole point of this is that this this is indeed just an innocent social worker who has asked them to come on in and and help because it is like you know a kind of a touchy situation she didn't want to go in alone she wanted some support from uh emily prentice and spencer really huge forehead in this shot read that that makes a lot more sense. I'll I'll tell you why when we get to it. I thought she was affiliated with the state police, but you could be affiliated with the police and be a social worker. So now it makes yeah, uh, makes more sense. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so what she has done is uh, set up some interviews with some children there, because apparently our our cult leader, I'll just call him uh, one Benjamin Cyrus, is believed to be practicing polygamy and forced marriages and all those sorts of cult leader type illegal activities. And they're going to go and check out the scene. And it's nice to see the, the team actually, they work on other things besides murders all of the time. Any, any <laughs> yes. case where a profiler might be useful, uh, such as this, trying to determine what's going on. 
it's nice to see that the team would be brought in on something like that. Yeah, this this is one of those rare, rare occasions that Mandy Patinkin would not have been embarrassed to be associated with this program. <laughs> yes. And they they think the caller was a girl named Jessica Evanson, because the age fits, but they're not exactly sure. That's why they're going to interview all of the kids. And Reed and Prentice are going in undercover, and they just want to be known as child victim interview experts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tonight on Law and <laughs> Order CVI. Yes. So uh, they arrive now at a Finston militia-like compound and uh, walk up there. Our social worker introduces herself as Nancy Lund, and she's looking for Benjamin Cyrus, who is there and introduces himself. And yes, as you said, it's our special guest star. The late, great Luke Perry, best known probably to everybody out there as Archie's father in Riverdale <laughs> and maybe some other show. Uh, uh, boy, you just didn't want that count of 90210 stars to add, <laughs> add up, did you? <laughs> Last one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So he welcomes them by saying, savages, they call us because our manners differ from theirs. And I would have loved it personally if Luke Perry said Benjamin Franklin, as if he was giving the quote for the uh, <laughs> right. opening of the, of the show. I but he you. did not. He did not. Uh, instead, Lund is like, hey, we're not here for scripture. And it's Reed who lets her know that, that it was uh, Benjamin Franklin. And so after Cyrus lets Lund and Prentice know the children are all in the school and, and heads them off in one direction. He's walking behind them a bit with Reed, and he says, Reed says that, hey, there's there's solar panels. He's, like, noticing the layout of the place, and uh, Cyrus tells him, yeah, they're completely self-sufficient. They have all their own electricity, food, water, everything, and he notes the look on Reed's face and says, you look surprised, and Reed is like, no, I'm impressed, actually. Cyrus thanks Reed for admitting that. That appears not to be a regular reaction that he would expect. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Spencer already getting inside Luke Perry's head. (laughs) Yeah. And now we cut inside to the uh, compound and uh, they're interviewing Jessica Evanson, who's there with her mother. And Jessica is completely defending their lifestyle. By the way, her mother is played by a super familiar actress who I don't know what her name is. Her name is Kathleen Wilhoyt. Who, uh, in addition to usually playing Bat Poo Insane Lady, um, uh, looks very similar to my uh, sister in law. So I always notice oh. when Kathleen Wilmot is on a TV show. <laughs> yeah, she's she is. I I mean, if you see her, you've seen her. She's that kind of like been in Absolutely. that amount of of things. I, I think I remember her from ER, maybe. Maybe she was on ER. I think that's where uh, probably quantum. Yeah. I remember it was Pacific Quantum Leap episode. You know, Twin Peaks. She, she's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. Twin. Pe- yes. So anyway, Prentice is telling them that they're there because they got a call that was alleging that an adult male member of the church was having inappropriate relations with the younger women there. And like I said, Jessica is immediately defending Cyrus. And she says she doesn't think it's inappropriate for a husband to share a bed with his wife. What? Yes, she is married to Cyrus, apparently. 
Reed brings up the fact, hey, uh, you're 15 years old, but apparently that's okay with parental consent in Colorado. And of course, this mother has given consent. You're only 15. You don't have a rep yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's fresh. All of a sudden, there's a lot of commotion and some armed men burst into the room. and They tell the visitors to get up and start patting them down. And Lund asks what's going on. And Cyrus says that they just got a strange call from a news reporter. And is there anything that they want to tell them about a raid, maybe? Raid? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel so sorry for any younger listeners, if we have any younger (laughs) listeners. Uh, Missing these references. But yes, Reed, Prentice, and Lund all actually look a bit shocked at this news of, of a raid and and Cyrus can actually tell that they seem surprised enough that they probably don't know what's that there was any raid planned. And things ramp up very quickly as we cut outside now and there's the SUVs arriving with the SWAT police team and, and they're all quickly spilling out and breaching the compound, so to speak. One, uh, one team is going to head over to the school. One team is going to head over to the chapel and they're yelling out, State police, we have a warrant. And I wonder, would they, in most cases, would they say state police or would they just say police? Yeah. That's for us in retrospect to keep all of these uh, jurisdictions uh, apart from each other. But yes, I agree with you. It's a little little weird, but please, please open up. Yeah. And so the one team bursts into the school, which they're able to get into because it wasn't locked. And well, you know, this whole thing could have avoided if they had just had doors that locked. I mean, <laughs> that would have stopped this whole situation. I think we, we've yeah. learned that over the years. <laughs> um, but nobody's in the school. And then the team at the chapel can't get in and they start to use a, a battering ram on the door. Then the uh, whoever the lead officer is over at the school realizes you lost music. There's a hatch. And... Uh, <laughs> They open the hatch and uh, it, it leads down apparently into a tunnel. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice nifty uh, escape system they've got going on there. And at that point, you know, just call me crazy. At that point, don't you call the whole damn thing off? <laughs> it's yeah, their, their plan. Their plan didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were going for an easy in and out. And uh, at this point, it's like John Doe's got the upper hand. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So next they uh, go over to the tunnel and there's a, a group of, I, I call them cultists throughout just because I couldn't think of a better word, but it's accurate. There's a, a group of cultists and uh, they're down in the tunnels and there's, of course, Lund, Reed and Prentice and they're hurrying through the tunnels and Lund is like, see, this makes so much more sense now that I know she's not a cop because I thought, boy, what a ho- she's acting pretty badly and not calm at all considering She's a cop, but she's not a cop. So it makes so much more sense, AJ. Uh, She's like, what's going on? What's going on? And Reed says uh, he doesn't know and tells her to stay calm. And then we cut upstairs and the the SWAT leader says, "Uh uh-oh, they knew we were coming. Move out, move out. And then gunfire erupts 
as there are cultists stationed on the roofs outside as the police are trying to come out and they start firing at them. And then lots of gunfires exchanged between the two groups as cops are running all over the place. And we have a, a dramatic action scene here. We cut back to the tunnel. They're, they've made their way to a, a shelter type area, a pantry underground shelter type area. Cyrus is telling everyone to stay together. He's telling the kids to listen to their parents. Go this way. Have faith. We're going to be fine, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Emily notices they pass some stockpiles of weapons and, and guns. And she asks Reed where they came from. And Reed says he, he doesn't know. They did have Garcia check with the state police. They didn't get any indication that this was going to be here. And so Cyrus is still trying to calm everyone down. He's telling them that there's nothing to fear. And someone who I never got the name of and I call Henchman throughout the <laughs> show. <laughs> uh, henchman lets Cyrus know that they're trying to breach the door. So Cyrus is going to run up to check that out. And uh, the police are continuing to pound on the door. Cyrus is yelling out, cease fire, cease fire. Meanwhile, down in the tunnel, I, I didn't have a very clear idea of what the space was between the tunnel or the down the basement and where they were. But it seemed like they could just run back and forth with relative ease. It wasn't I would say far. it's probably not the largest compound in the world, but they just have enough sufficient tunnel space to get from one building to the other uh, through a connected basement. You know, I think that's really all it is. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the tunnel, Lund... All right, I wrote inexplicably, <laughs> again, because I'm thinking she's a cop the whole time. Uh, she decides... You know what? Even if she is not a cop, which she is not, this is still inexplicably. <laughs> yes, good point. Good point. She decides that she's affiliated with the state police. She thinks she can help in this situation. She's going to go talk to them. And she breaks away and starts to run upstairs and uh, Emily is telling her, stop, stop, it's too dangerous. And somehow she manages to run straight past the guys with the guns that are supposed to be holding them. But the guys with the guns then stop Prentice and Reed from going after her. <laughs> so they didn't stop her, but they stopped uh, yeah, anybody well, else. You know, it's, it's, it's not like they're a, a well-organized militia or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so... She runs upstairs just in time to basically get herself shot to death. Uh, so. Oh, man. It's it's incredibly stupid, but, you know, okay. Uh, she was dumb to run up there. She's like, I can help. I can get them to stop. <laughs> yeah. Farewell, Lund. We hardly knew you. Cyrus then heads back down. And when Prentice asks him what happened to Lund, all he says is it wasn't us which is accurate. Um, Truth. <laughs> Prentice is like, are you nuts? You can't shoot it out with the cops. You have children in here. And Cyrus says, you know what? I didn't start this. So he tells his henchman to take the tunnel and he's going to go take the roof. And then we get more gun battle, more action. And then all of a sudden in the vestibule where the cops are sort of pinned down, one of the cops gets shot and uh, it falls down. And so he's uh, injured. Cyrus, who's back, who's on the roof now, very quickly, again, got on the roof. <laughs> I don't know exactly the logistics, but he's up on the roof. And he uh, 
tells his people to hold their their fire. And then he yells down to the police that he's going to offer them a chance to pull back. The SWAT leader assesses the situation, looks around, realizes he's got a man down. Things aren't looking good for him. He decides to take advantage of the offer and he's going to pull back for the moment. Reed knows that it's not for long as we go to <laughs> as we go to credits. So next we open up with an outside shot of the Quantico office building as Reed gives us our opening quote. To follow by faith alone is to follow blindly. Benjamin Franklin. Oh, yes. We got a theme going on here. Pretty cool. Uh, and we are about eight and a half minutes in at this point of this episode. So, like, that was a meaty, meaty opening segment. Usually it's like, walk, 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 kill. Ah! Opening credits here. <laughs> we yeah. got really deep into the story. And I think these stories work better because, you know, now, now you're involved. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're in the, oh, cool. What happens next? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, yeah, we're at the office, the uh, what I call the bullpen area of the office, and, and JJ runs in, calling out for Morgan, who is there. Uh, she grabs the remote, turns on the TV, and we see our same reporter from before. I guess this is the station. <laughs> it's always is it always tuned to the station? I don't get how. <laughs> yeah, she turns I, on the TV, and and it's that report, like that guy. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with JJ, <laughs> who is is. A- you know, awesome at her job has linked the feed that she has caught on some sort of national collection device so that it will play in the bullpen. I think that's what, what's going on here. Much like uh, if you worked at ESPN, you, you have channels from all a bunch of satellites and you can tune into whatever number you need. Yes. Okay. Fair. So she turns on the news story of the incident going on in Colorado between the police and a fringe religious group, Known as the Septarian Sect. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh, but it just <laughs> seemed so generic and random. The Septarian Sect. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, Ask for it by name. <laughs> yes. Morgan immediately calls out, Hotch! And uh, Hotch drops the phone or whatever he was doing and runs out of his office. And we also see Rossi has run out of his office and they all watch the news story and hear what's going on. And Hotch takes command as usual, which is good since he's the boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I will say it, this is a bit cliche for the show where it's like we're watching a news report. That's not the place. Where, that's not the train where L is. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's not the place where Reed and Emily went. Why? Well, yes, it is. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, Hotch says that, you know, they're going to be the lead on the hostage rescue and support. Let's go. And we cut to the jet flying. <laughs> now, here's, here's where I have to say, this has got to be the longest newscast ever. Yes. <laughs> because, because same dude is picking up exactly where he left off in the bullpen. And that's where I lose the credibility here. And this is before the days where you could just rewatch something over and over on YouTube. Like, is this is a supposedly live report still going on? Yes. Yeah, a little. Uh, uh, this one's hard to believe. <laughs> I find it a little hard to believe that they're still just getting all of their information on what's going on from just the news. <laughs> like, <laughs> they usually have all their dossiers 
you know, I realize it's a it's a quick turnaround that they just ran to the jet, but usually they seem to have a little bit more yeah, information. It, you know, it, it compressing for television, but still, it's yeah, it's a, a little shaky here. The uh, reporter is saying that the cult happened to be a the subject of a six month weapons investigation, and Morgan is like six months. We didn't check. And I was like, thank you, because I was thinking that earlier about the fact that there was a raid like they they should have known about that and appropriately offended JJ is like, oh, no, <laughs> it was checked. We did indeed check. It was like you could tell JJ thought this, you know, this was uh, horning in on her territory about yeah. checking. Let me tell you what happened here. <laughs> yes. We checked. We asked. They flat out lied to our faces. Exactly. And used us as a cover, those jerk bags. Yes. And it was all for stupid political reasons. Apparently, the attorney general for the state is going to be running for governor. And she had the ATF call. And he thought, you know, that the ATF was going to try to horn in on their big time arrests that would have made him look good as he was running for governor. So he lied. I find this incredibly hard to believe. That would never happen, right? Nope, 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 nope. It's almost like they're saying there's corruption in politics. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So he didn't know, JJ says, that the FBI was going to be there. And he thought it was going to be a particularly good time to do the raid because all the kids were going to be, you know, segregated into the school. Okay, okay, fine, fine. But let's be very clear here. Take the FBI as they're out of the equation. It's still this raid screwed the pooch. Yes. <laughs> the FBI had, there had nothing to do with, with the fact that this was a colossal miscalculation. And, and, and this guy doesn't seem to realize that. <laughs> yeah. So Rossi asks, well, what do we know about this sect? And because they need to give Garcia some lines in this episode, probably contractually. Yeah. Uh, she, she pops up on the computer screen to to provide a little bit of information here. Let's talk about sets, baby. Let's talk <laughs> about you and me. Oh, boy. So Garcia says this group was started in 1980 by a libertarian named Leo Kane. And Morgan gives us a quick brief on libertarian beliefs. And then the, the point is made that libertarians aren't necessarily a religious group. And uh, apparently the group went through some changes when Cyrus took leadership over the group about eight years ago. Garcia doesn't have any information on Cyrus at all. He's a complete blank slate. But the former leader of the group, Leo Kane, is serving a 17-year stretch at Deerfield for tax evasion. And Morgan's like, 17 years for tax evasion? No. Uh, he also happened to take a baseball bat to the IRS agents. So that would lead to yeah. to, to longer time, sentence time there. Hotch says, well, you know what? It's going to be a good idea to get Kane brought over to the scene because he can probably help them find out more about who they're dealing with. We then uh, cut back to the compound and Henchman is there reporting on some deaths that happened Apparently somebody got one person got killed and then also the parents of a little girl also were in bed and the bullets went through the walls and killed them. Jessica is there. She brings over the little girl and Cyrus is telling the girl it's going to be all right. Mommy and daddy have gone to God. 
He then tells Jessica to bring the girl to the temple and pray. And Prentice gives a pretty good stink face as he tells his man to distribute the weapons and ammo. Well, I mean, come on. This is a body count now. And again, this group did not start it. (laughs) Not at all. We cut outside now to Hotch and Rossi as they're arriving at the scene. And it's a tense little scene because Hotch is in charge of uh, determining who the negotiator is going to be. And he tells Rossi that he wants him to be the negotiator since he basically wrote the sub book on the subject, you know, uh, and came up with the procedures. Rossi doesn't think this is a particularly good idea. He's emotionally involved. He can't be objective in this case. And Hotch is saying, look, this is a unique situation. We've got two agents in there. And our outcome isn't actually just going to be based on our ability to predict what Cyrus is going to do. It's also going to be on our based on our ability to predict what Prentice and Reed are going to be doing. And that's why Rossi is just the man for the job. And so Rossi has to reluctantly agree to that. And as he's doing that, a, a, another car pulls up and a man gets out. And this is our state attorney general, the liar. Uh, Wells, and he demands to know why he wasn't told about the FBI agents that are undercover in there. He's strutting around like he's the king of the block. He's, he's, he wants to know what, what's going on. And Hotch immediately goes over to him, gets directly in his face and says, you know what? The only thing you're in a position f- to demand is a lawyer. And the, the attorney general is like, uh, excuse me, who are you? And Hot says he's the guy that's going to tell the U.S. Attorney General whether he's going to charge him with obstructing a federal investigation or just negligent homicide. And Wells is furious. He's like, you can't talk to me like that. And Hotch just stares him down. They get into a little bit of a stare off and just tells him disgustedly to get off of his crime scene. <laughs> I believe <laughs> I just did. Yes. <laughs> right. Mic drop. Peace out. And Wells looks at Hotch and he realizes from the stare down that Hotch don't play. And so he retreats to his car. And I said, perhaps he's off to play a round of golf with Bill and Brian Doyle. Because because this guy was the Murray whose name I always forget. That isn't Bill or Brian Doyle. He's the other Murray actor. The other Murray. The other Murray. Do you have his Uh, name? No, no, no. I know he's one of them. Third Baldwin, he is not. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought at first it was Brian Doyle because of the voice, but uh, I realized, no, it was the other one. Yes. (laughs) Luckily, we don't have to worry about it too much because we'll never see him again. (laughs) He's gone off with... Tail between legs, yes. Yeah, he's gone off. So we now see the head of the hostage rescue team, who I never got his name either, so I call him HRT for the rest of this uh, recap oh, here. Just, just he's, he's, a, he's a friendly local. <laughs> yes. And he comes up, and Hotch is like, oh, you know Dave Rossi? And HRT is like, oh, yeah, for sure. And Rossi's like, yeah, we've been here before, haven't we? And HRT is like, yeah, Waco, Ruby Ridge, the Freeman standoff. I just hope someone listens to you guys this time. And Rossi says, well, this time we are in charge. And uh, (laughs) And when I say we, I mean me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The uh, HRT guy lets him know that 
He dismissed the state police since they were basically the fools that started this whole thing in the first place. And their presence is no longer needed. (laughs) To which uh, Rossi is just like, good. And uh, they look at the solar panels and and the HRT suggests maybe we can uh, shoot those out. But Rossi doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to escalate the situation any further. And HRT guy says, well, cool. But that means that these guys are going to be able to watch the news. We all know how dangerous that is. And Hodge starts to say he'll get JJ to uh, talk to the press. HRT says, okay, well, my men are are ready to be briefed. So we cut to a command center. Rossi is there and he's starting the briefing. And he says, this is going to be a minimal loss scenario. Whoop, 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 whoop. Title, title, title. Episode title. And uh, every person they get out basically is a life saved and that's what they're going to be going for. They're not going to be able to save everyone. Morgan uh, gives a, a brief lesson on cults, and they're like a pyramid. You have the leader at the top, and then the second level underneath that, you have the diehards, who are their diehards, as the, as the description says. And then the largest group would be at the base of your pyramid. They would be your followers your women and children. And that's basically who they're trying to save in this situation. Yeah. So I'm glad you didn't say and then below the diehard is the diehard two, diehard three. (laughs) (laughs) Hot says that they're going to use a strategy called trickle flow gush to get them out. I wasn't too fond of this strategy name, but okay. Uh, Me neither, because I had just drank a whole bunch of soda and I was (laughs) getting antsy. (laughs) first you let one or two people out get one or two people out then you get three or four and then you get as many as you can as fast as you can and then if at any point during that things start to go bad that's when they're going to have to go in i assume full guns blazing is what he means by that that's when they're going to have to take the situation over Mm -hmm. rossi talks about the leaders of these groups they're all charismatic sociopaths who can get people to do anything they want. Basically what they're going to have to do is undermine the leader's perception that, that they're an invading army that are out there laying siege to their home. So uh, HRT says, well, you know what? We'll lose our fatigues. We'll wear ranchers clothes, which is apparently what they did for the Freeman standoff. And Rossi is like, perfect. Anything we do that can demilitarize the situation. He's all for it. Everything seems to be going pretty good so far. Rossi calls over to the compound. Uh, Cyrus answers the phone. And he actually has the little girl talking first. Okay. Does he, though? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She answers the phone saying, are they going to kill her like they did her mom and dad? This child cannot form that sentence. I'm sorry. (laughs) There is no way that the actress that they have playing this child was it. Are you going to kill me? I can kill my mama and daddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, okay, you know, they don't actually show her on screen. It's the voice on the phone. And then suddenly, you know, Cyrus has taken the phone away from her. So we don't actually yeah. have to see it, which is even more reason to believe that this is just uh, one of the yeah. really bad ADR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rossi tells Cyrus who he is. 
And he lets them know that they sent away the state police. It's just the FBI and then the local police. He just wants them to come out. And Cyrus says, look, we're just a bunch of believers. You know, we're just, we're just I'm a believer. I saw your face. I'm a believer. <laughs> they believe God says what he means and he means what he says. And guess what? His laws don't depend on what state you live in. Rossi says, look, we don't have any issue with your beliefs. Cyrus says, well, maybe you don't, but the state does. He's foreseeing the final battle. God is going to have the answer, so on and so forth. And Rossi says, that's why he's here. He's going to make sure that this isn't that final battle. And so he then asks over the fate of the three child services workers. Cyrus says that one of them is dead. And of course, hearing that, Hotch and Rossi have, you know, worried, concerned looks. Uh Uh-oh, who's dead? Yeah, I mean, the odds. <laughs> Not yeah. good. Yeah. Rossi says, uh, can you give me a name so you we can inform the family? And R- Cyrus says, it was Nancy Lund. You give see Morgan giving a very relieved look, which makes you feel bad for Nancy Lund. But of course, <laughs> you can understand. We don't care about her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, you can understand that he's quite glad it wasn't Reed or Prentice. Rossi asks Cyrus to send out his wounded, and he's not going to do that. He says they're going to be taken care of, but they are going to need some supplies to be able to take care of their own. And Rossi is like, okay, give me a few hours to put it all together, and I'll I'll swing it by at uh, first light. And we cut to the command center uh, and the HRT. He's getting everything ready, and he tells Rossi, you know, be careful. They could take you hostage. And Morgan, of course, offers to go with Rossi, but Rossi's like, no, I want to build trust. I've got to go in alone. And they've got parabolic mics that are set up by the windows to try to pick up the audio, but they're also putting bugs in the supplies so that they'll be able to listen into uh, anything they want. Basically, they're going to have ears over the whole scene. Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. As long as they don't get caught, they're fine. <laughs> and... Uh, Prentice and Reed know the playbook. They'll know that they're going to be trying to get the audio and they're going to be the ones getting the cult people talking so that they can hear exactly what's going on. We cut to the next morning and Rossi pulls up to the church in the sheriff's pickup truck that has about eight boxes of supplies in it. But Rossi takes one box of supplies and he uh, goes up to the door and Cyrus lets him in, and Rossi uh, is casing out the scene, looking at who's there. He sees the children are there. He spots Reed and Prentice off to the side in some of the pews that are over there. And he uh, asks to take some children out with him. But Cyrus is like, nope, the children are our protection. Everybody remembers Waco. We all know what happens once you let the children go. Rossi is like, this is not Waco. Cyrus says, yeah, the kids are going to stay right now. And also, he's going to just go ahead and pray for guidance. Please don't try to force us out of here. And Rossi says, they're not going to. You can trust him. And Cyrus says, well, trust is earned. And Rossi agrees to that. Truth. And Cyrus says, uh, you tell them that I'm not crazy. I'm just a man living by God's law. And Rossi says he will, and he even puts out his hand for a good old handshake before he leaves. 
before he leaves for Cyrus to lock the door, leaving seven boxes of supplies still outside in the truck that never make it inside. (laughs) I'm assuming that they're all bugged or he brought in the only bugged box. I I don't know, because immediately it's 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 drinking time. (laughs) This was just like, you know, they're trying to tell the story and figuring no one's going to notice. But, he, you know, you got an open bed truck with eight boxes of supplies. He picks one and brings it inside. (laughs) You would have thought maybe he'd send some people out to get the other seven boxes, which could have been done in the background. But we see the whole time. No, that never happens. And he locks the door. Yeah, and and Rossi's suddenly back at, at at the headquarters. So he he didn't need the boxes. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, basically Cyrus is like, it's it's time to get our drink on, and he passes a uh, wine out to everybody, including the baby, <laughs> including the kid. Yes, every everybody has a glass glass of wine, except I think uh, Reed and uh, Prentice. I don't think they have. No, he did not give it to them. He just gave it to his people, not to not yep. to the. <clears throat> guests yeah while this is going on and he's preparing everybody to drink this wine with his you know religious dogma that he's uh giving them reed and prentice notice that jessica her body language is just showing that she's so into cyrus and, and just following his every word and they determine that there's no way that she's the one that made that 911 call they do notice her mother also standing between her and Cyrus in a protective manner. Cyrus then instructs everyone to drink up and they all start drinking. Cut back to the command center. Uh, Rossi, like you say, he's arrived there uh, without delivering any boxes. <laughs> and uh, he's telling them, hey, Reed and Prentice are okay. They ask him, well, what's up? And he says, I think Cyrus is too calm. He's too calm and collected. It's like he was waiting for all this to happen. Now that it has, he he feels vindicated in some way. Meanwhile, HRT has been fiddling with the sound controls and he announces that he has a signal and now they can hear and Cyrus is talking and he says, uh, yeah, we're going to be with him, meaning God soon. We have all drank the poison together. Well, as soon as he says that, some of the cultists look around like they're shocked to hear that. And I'm like, guys are in a cult and they passed out wine to everybody <laughs> in a in a standoff situation don't be so surprised what what poison <laughs> i yeah. thought this was this was this isn't the Kool-Aid. this is the wine <laughs> oh man so yes we cut to a break at this point Yes, but of course, as we're about 20 minutes into the episode, we know that they're not all going to just drop dead right now. Right. We do come back. We see Cyrus still basically praying and preaching to the people. And the team in the command center is listening in. And Rossi is just saying, this doesn't fit. He looked looked, uh, Cyrus in the eye. Cyrus was calm. He was lucid. Hotch is ready to go send the people in right now. Morgan is like, yeah, they're about to commit mass suicide. And Cyrus is going on. We can see a few members of his congregation are, are looking around, crying. And Prentice points this out to Reed. She's actually wondering what they should do. And Reed doesn't think they should do anything. He believes Cyrus is bluffing. He's noting how Cyrus and his, his men are noting down the names of everyone who's crying. And they figure what he's doing is making a, a loyalty list, people who are 
loyal and people who are crying, the people who are crying aren't really going to be with them until the end. Rossi is meanwhile arguing with Hotch, telling him, you know, Jim Jones did this exact same thing. He did a test run years before he did the real thing. And Hotch tells HRT he's got to prepare his men to get ready to go in. And we cut immediately back to Cyrus, who's telling his church to calm down, be still. There was no poison. It was a test of faith. So Hotch is able to tell HRT to tell his men to stand down. And uh, HRT is like, nice call to Rossi. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, you know, so, it's, it's the irony of the fact that uh, these people who drank the poison and, and were, were chill about it had more faith in their main man than Hotch had in Rossi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting, right? And yeah. uh, JJ comes in to tell them that about the arrival of the former sect leader, Kane. Morgan says he's got it. He's going to go talk to Kane. We cut to some kind of interrogation room. AJ, we had a hatch mentioned before, and now yeah. we have Frank Lapidus himself. That's right. Lawnmower man, Jeff Fahey. <laughs> yes. He is our cult leader, Kane, and he's there, and he is eager to drop a dime on Cyrus. Uh, he's given him all the tea. Uh, Cyrus's real name is actually Charles Mulgrew. <laughs> and you know, if Charles Mulgrew ran the zoo, he'd give them all poison, wouldn't you? <laughs> Ooh. Yes. Apparently, his mom showed up at the cult when she was five months pregnant with Charles. And Charles was such a smart kid. He had an amazing memory. Sounds like a little bit like Reed. Mm. Anything he could read, he would re- he could repeat back at you. And at some point... Kane had to have him kicked off the ranch when he was about 17 years old because he was messing around with some young girls on the ranch. You know what we mean by when we say messing, not uh, mm-hmm. not not teasing them. He was messing with them. And uh, so his mom took him away to Kentucky after they kicked him out. After several years, he came back to the ranch saying his mom had died. But he had found God and he wanted to come home. And then eventually he came to Cain and said, God told him that Cain should leave the ranch. (laughs) Cain said uh, he told him to tell if God feels that way, he can tell me himself. He puts a gun to Cain's head and says, God did. (laughs) He just did. (laughs) He just did. Cain is like. As he's displaying this, Jeff Fahey says, look, it took 20 years to build that ranch. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you against Cyrus. So Morgan tells him he's going to need a map. Meanwhile, we cut over to Garcia. She's already got the information on Charles Mulgrew. Apparently, he was convicted at age 18 in Kentucky on three counts of statutory rape. She talked to the warden there who told her Mulgrew did find religion and was a model citizen. Morgan is like, yeah, it's not too hard to behave when you're in protective custody the whole time. And Hot says, well, the general population is a rough place for a child molester. And Garcia says, no, 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 you guys don't understand. He was a model citizen. He volunteered at the prison hospital in the AIDS ward. He was reading to prisoners that were dying of HIV. This is the kind of guy he was. And, uh, Garcia says, so you got, you go get our friends back. And she signs off. 
Rossi says, well, it's really bad that he's been to prison. Morgan says, yeah, because he, now he knows what happens to child molesters there. And Hot says, yeah, if the current allegations are true and he thinks we know it to be true, he's not going to come out of there. Indeed. Rossi says they need to make him think that he's not going to be going back. And so Hotch starts to tell JJ, who's come in, that they need to release a statement saying there's no evidence of sexual allegations. But JJ has something other to report. She puts on the news. <laughs> there's our <laughs> reporter. And he's announcing that the hostage situation has been taken over by the FBI. But an anonymous source in the state attorney general's office has told them that there is an undercover FBI agent currently being held inside the church. Ha ha ha, I got the last laugh. Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a jerk. And has the media not learned any lessons about hostage situations since Die Hard? <laughs> like, <laughs> have they not learned you don't say anything about what's going on in the hostage situation as it's going on? Listen, listen, leave the diehards out of this. We're trying yes. to get rid of the lower level followers out of here. <laughs> yeah, the team is just grimacing as they're listening to this doofus endangering lives on the news. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's not as if they made the decision to allow uh, Cyrus and his people to continue to have television access. Oh, wait, they did. Oops, yeah. Also, I just wanted to point out that during this scene, AJ is like at one moment raising AJ, JJ, JJ played by AJ, <laughs> played by AJ. Yes, that's fair. I could still say it. She's raising her hands to her head. And I'm sad to say she's got this white T-shirt on and with the lighting and supposedly she's showing off baby bump. But it looks suspiciously like the pregnancy belt that Terry Schuster wore in the first season of Glee. <laughs> it, it had an outline to it that just I mean, it wasn't hor it wasn't completely noticeable, but I just felt like it looked like a, a pregnancy belt. Hmm. That's interesting. I I was under the impression she actually was pregnant, and that's why they wrote it in. Because she looks very pregnant in the face. So I don't know about that one. Okay. Hmm. Could be, you could be right, and I could be wrong. I just felt it looked like I saw an outline of a, a belt in there. <laughs> but that's something Way too nitpicky to be too concerned. About. Well, no, yeah, no. This, yeah, she was pregnant. She was pregnant at the time. Yeah, the, the tracks with the age of the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Oh well, damn it! There goes my theory. And, and, and I wouldn't. I, I, I would have gone with you on this, except for the fact that in the in the face, you can't fake that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can, but not not on this show with this budget. Yes, true. <laughs> and the main point was, I wanted to get my Glee reference in there. But anyway, oh, um, that's, that's that's what you missed. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Perry and his henchmen come into the room and they've got guns on Prentice and Reed. And they're asking which one of them is the fake is the uh, FBI agent. And Reed starts to try to play it off like, wait, what are you guys talking about? And Cyrus isn't playing around, though. He's got his gun cocked. And before he does anything, Prentice jumps in right away saying, it's me, it's me, it's me. And so Cyrus drags her off as the henchman holds a shotgun on Reed. We cut back to Cyrus doing a pretty savage beatdown, I thought, on Prentice. Yeah, he, he, he took no prisoners there, uh, or took one prisoner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beat her up. I, 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 
Uh, quick, quick question here. Does this episode pretty much end immediately if Reed confesses first and he beats Reed? Probably. <laughs> Probably Reed is dead. Emily has jumped in and now they, they have no FBI agents on the inside. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he's screaming at Prentice as he's beating her. I told you not to put me in this position. Remember, the whole team is here listening to this on the on their headsets as this is going on. And it he slams her into a mirror that's on the wall that breaks apart, throws her to the ground, throws her against the wall. And Prentice starts just saying, I can take it. I can take it. And he's like, oh, you can take it, huh? And starts doing it again. And the team realizes that Emily is talking to them and she's giving them a message that they should not go in at this point. Yep. I mean, she can survive this. He's not going to kill her. He's just going to beat her up a little bit. And she's, she's tough. She can handle it. She's not going to like it, but she can handle it. Right. So they take Prentice upstairs and, and tie her to a bed. And, and Jessica's mother is there. She starts to tend to her wounds, saying that Prentice should have just told him who she was. You know, Cyrus is a prophet. And he knew that Satan's armies would be laying siege on us. And Prentice says, yeah, well, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the mother just is like, you don't know how dangerous it is to lie to him. And Princess looks like a light bulb goes off in her head as she's looking at this woman. She says, you know what? It would take a really brave woman to defy this guy, knowing the consequences of what could happen. And That woman would have to have a pretty good damn reason to, to do it. And the mother does look a bit guilty as Princess is saying this, and, and she walks away. We cut to another room, and Cyrus is uh, asking Reed if he knew that Prentice was an FBI agent. Reed is playing it off like he didn't know. And Cyrus starts going into talking about how the law says that a 15-year-old child, a 15-year-old is a child, but 50 years ago, that same law said a 14-year-old was an adult. And have children changed so much in 50 years? And Reed says uh, so many times he's investigated abuse charges against small religious groups, and almost all of them turn out to be false. So Reed is still in let's play Cyrus mode. Absolutely. And Cyrus asks him what he thinks of that. And Reed says it doesn't matter what he thinks, but Cyrus says it matters to him. And when Reed asks why, he says it's because God wants to save you, and that's why he sent you here. So Reed thinks about it, and he suggests Cyrus should test the negotiator on his next call, have the guy prove that he isn't a liar. How to do that? Well, ask him the identity of the FBI agent. And the henchman chimes in, hey, we already know the identity. And Reed points out, yeah, but the FBI doesn't know that you know. And meanwhile, we see Rossi and team listening in to this whole conversation. And Reed says, hey, look, they keep asking you to release people. Why don't you tell them you'll release a kid and you won't harm the agent? And if they really care about this kid, they'll have to tell you. The henchman says, well, Reed is just trying to get them to release a kid. Reed is like, hey, look, it's just one kid. If they don't hold up their end of the deal, then we'll know that they can't be trusted. And Cyrus is following this logic and he does think Reed has a point. So Rossi says, uh, Reed got him. And Cyrus can see something is up with his henchman and asks his henchman what, what's going on. So 
the henchman tells Cyrus some of the group of people have been talking and they're and they're thinking that they're going to leave the group. And so Cyrus tells the henchman, "Okay, let's wake up the baby and let's let them all meet the orphan that they made. Which is true. (laughs) Well, they being the The, police at large, not necessarily Rossi and company, but yes. Yes. So Rossi calls over and Cyrus tells him they're going to release a child if they can tell him the identity of the FBI agent. And Rossi plays it off like they can't tell him that information. And Cyrus says, well, he's going to send a child out right now. The girl walks out of the church. Morgan rushes over to get the little girl. And he lets the team know that he's got her. They don't have her espout any big lines that clearly (laughs) wouldn't um, fit for her. Because, yeah, you're right (laughs) about that. So then Rossi tells Cyrus on the phone, hey, you know, we're taking a big risk here. And Cyrus says, trust is earned. Call back. (laughs) Yes. And so Rossi says, okay, the agent is Emily Prentice. She came in with two child service workers to talk to the girls. And Cyrus seems to be happy. Okay, there's a good chance we can work things out here. And I'm going to provide you actually with another sign of good faith. And Rossi tells him he's doing a good thing here. Cyrus tells his henchmen to assemble everyone in the chapel and to bring Agent Prentice down. So we cut over to the chapel and Cyrus is telling the group that it's come to his attention that some of them have lost their faith in God and that they no longer love them and that they want to abandon them. So he's going to start to call out a list of names and have them stand up. So he starts to call out the names. And meanwhile, Prentice has been brought down bruised and battered but uh she looks okay reed goes over to talk to her she does tell reed immediately that she's it's not as bad as it looks and and reed is whispering that he's so sorry emily just looks on over at cyrus and she tells reed look at all the names he's calling look who he's releasing everybody that was on the not loyal list from before so reed says he'll get word to the team and Emily should wait for a sign from outside to indicate what time the raid will come. So they figure this is an escalation about to happen here. Reed makes his way back to Cyrus, who has finished reading out his list of names. Since he was obviously just talking to Prentice, he tells Cyrus that he was just telling her that she shouldn't have lied to Cyrus. And uh, Cyrus says, okay, and has her taken back upstairs, which makes me think, why did you bring her down in the first place if you were just going to have her go back upstairs. But Well, no, actually, actually I, I, I agree with you for that. It seems to be, but bring her downstairs, let her see what he's doing, that he's letting people go. I think she is an FBI agent, so like, let her let her realize that, like, look, I'm playing ball. Don't try anything stupid because I'm, I'm playing ball here. So meanwhile, he has all the people that were going to collect their stuff and, and get out of there. And then as they're leaving, Cyrus calls over to Rossi and lets him know that they're going to surrender tomorrow at noon. And he wants the press there because he wants to be to make sure that they're going to be treated fairly. In other words, that you ain't going to shoot us. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, They can discuss the the details uh, further in their 7 a.m. call. Also, in the meantime, could you guys send us 
some food in. Rossi says, sure, what do you want? And Cyrus says, how about some fried chicken with all the fixing? <laughs> Which just made uh, me laugh entirely. All the fixings, because yeah. this is CBS. This is a show that was sometimes airing directly after Survivor. And while I can't prove it, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Jeff Probst probably in a reward challenge in the hour before this probably said, all the fixings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I all right, I'll I'll pick my knit in a second. But anyway, um the henchman doesn't understand why Cyrus let all the people go. And Reed says, Well, they weren't prepared to do what needs to be done. And the henchman is like, dude, you're not even one of us. Fair. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's correct. <laughs> and Cyrus tells him, Hey, hey, listen to what Reed has to say. The one that's not even one of us. And Reed says, Look, they failed the test. They had a chance to prove themselves when Cyrus told them they'd be sacrificed for God. And they showed that they weren't worthy. And that's why he wants the media there to bear witness to the true final act of sacrifice. And the henchman correctly is like, and how do you know all of that? And, and Reed says, he's always looking for signs of things to come. Somehow, Rossi knows when he hears Reed say he's looking for a sign of things to come that Reed is talking to them. He wants a sign of when they're going to come in and time has run out. We've got to go in and we go to a break. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think it's uh, it's definitely one of those things where Cyrus is enamored with the fact that Reed seems to be uh, – able to see what he's saying and pretty much pretty much just being a yes man and very supportive and if this strange this stranger can come in here and figure out all my plans and support me then i must be doing the right thing henchman <laughs> right i'll tell you what my nitpick was with that scene yeah. i thought it very odd that they ask for food if they've been if they have electricity, food, and water that they've talked about for this, uh, they have all these things to survive a siege, and it's only day two, and he's already asking for some fried chicken with all the fixings. All I right. just thought it a little odd. Actually, uh, devil's advocate, if I'm Cyrus, and I am pretty much know that mm, time's run out here, and it's about time for us to, bl to blow ourselves to kingdom come, Let's not tip them off by not asking for food. And by asking for food, they, you know, we, we might be sending them a message that everything's cool here. We're just going to have a nice meal, get to sleep. Of course, they could just as easily say, oh, he's asking for a final meal. So it could go either way. <laughs> yeah. I just felt that the food was handy for reasons we're about to see. <laughs> and sure, that's why it was sure. – <laughs> But you know, they could they could have come up with another way to send a message. They could have just done what they end up doing. So, you know, yeah. yeah. But anyway, we come back from break and Hotch is saying they can't drug the food because of the children. So we're going to have to go in. And so they're trying to figure out the best time that they should go in. And they say that it should be when they're the least mentally prepared. 3 a.m. is a good time for that, AJ, because that's when the biorhythms are at their lowest Whatever. They could just say 3 a.m. because it's the middle of the night. <laughs> yes. We don't need we don't need pseudoscience here. Come on. <laughs> so they're gonna need a diversion to get things going here. 
something that he would expect them to do. And since Cyrus happened to bring up Waco before HRT says, well, you know what? I know how to use that information. What we need right now are some Humvees. And so the plan apparently is to have Prentice and Reed separating out all the followers from the diehards. And then at the same time, they're going to prevent the diehards from reacting to the assault too quickly. They're going to delay them. But the other concern is how do we let Reed and Prentice know what time we're going to be doing this raid? At this point, Hotch sees the food that they're setting up to bring over. The lids are there. So they're going to mark up all the lids. New owner, new hours, open until 3 a.m. In, <laughs> in La Plata County, Colorado, we're yep. going to open <laughs> till 3 a.m. Yep. Sure. <laughs> okay. No offense, La Plata. If you're out there, let me know what kind of nightlife you guys have. Yes. That you have. I mean, <laughs> I suppose they could, they could have done something else like, Special deal uh, for three. <laughs> Dinner for three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess there are other ways to do it, but sure. Yeah, so they mark all the lids on the food with that message that makes so much sense. And, um, you know, and, and here's the thing. The only thing that makes sense to me, because I, that message might not be picked up by anyone, but Reed would recognize Hotch's handwriting. And I think that's where it doesn't matter what he writes. As long as he puts a three on there with words around it with his own handwriting, and that would tip him off. Because it's not going to be three in the afternoon. It'll be three in the morning. <laughs> Just put a number three on all the boxes. The chicken is our number three. Like, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think there's other ways to do it, it but okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the food gets delivered. And meanwhile, we cut to Emily, who's upstairs, still tied to the bed. She's by herself at the moment. She manages to put her foot up onto the window and uh, adjust the blinds so there's a little bit of a hole in the blinds. And she starts talking because she knows somebody is probably listening. She's uh, saying she can get the women and children out down to the tunnel, but she needs to know when they are coming. And she starts to repeat, repeat that message. The cop is outside and he rushes over to Morgan. Hey, hey, Emily's trying to tell us something. Really? She says, I, I'm trying to tell you something. I know, I, you, know you can she, hear me. Yeah, he could, he could have just rushed in and said, Emily needs to know what time it is. Yeah. So Morgan goes over uh, with the cop. He's got one of those laser scopes. He points it out the window and using the laser, laser scope, he's able to communicate. Yes. He uses it as a makeshift Ouija board. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, he, he does the blink three times. When she asks, what time are they coming? And she says, 3 a.m. Is that it? Is that it? And he nods the laser up and down like a head shaking, <laughs> nodding yes. So uh, she she got, she gets the message. Oh, and my, my favorite part is the end of, of the com- communication there. Someone's coming. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Turn the light off. <laughs> Meanwhile, Reed is able to see boxes of food downstairs and able to read the message about 3 a.m. And then Cyrus walks in and he offers Reed a chance to leave, says, you don't have to stay here and be a part of this. And Reed says, no, he's going to stick around. Uh, he wants to tell his story. And Cyrus seems to be glad for that. Someone's got to tell his story. And he says, now that the, the uh, non-believers are gone, it's time to make our preparations 
and he heads over to a box and pulls out a couple of sticks of dynamite. So, yeah, that's what he's about to do. (laughs) Which, okay, which all of this seems... uh, Here's my issue with it. And and I don't have a lot of issues with this episode. I like the episode. But uh, it seems to me Reed doesn't really need to know what time the rate is. As long as Emily's doing her thing. Reed's sticking with Cyrus. He'll know that Cyrus is doing something when Cyrus does something. Uh, On top of that... Um, if Cyrus's plan is to blow everybody up, then how exactly is going to Reed avoid that fate if he's staying here? Right. How's he going to tell your story, Cyrus? It's just a little fault. I mean, I suppose the last second he's like, go now, you know? Right. So next we have Jessica's mother again upstairs. She's with Emily. Uh, She's giving her some water to drink. And Emily tells her, hey, look, Cyrus is planning a mass suicide. And you know what? I know that you were the one who made that 911 call. Really? What gave it away? (laughs) 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 Jessica's mother is busted. She starts being distraught. She's saying this whole thing is my fault. None of this would have been happening if I hadn't made that call. She's right. I mean, this particular situation, eventually you probably would have gotten here anyway, but it wouldn't be happening tonight, probably. (laughs) Um, So Emily tells her, look, you were just trying to protect your daughter. I understand. And Emily basically lets her know about the plan for the FBI raid at 3 a.m. She wants her to go gather Jessica, any of the kids, all of the other women, she wants to get them into the basement just before 3 a.m. The mom is like, well, why are you telling me this? And Emily says, it's because I have faith that you're strong enough to do the right thing for Jessica. Hmm. I have yeah. faith unlike those losers who he just kicked out. <laughs> right. We cut over to Rossi and Hotch having a talk, and, and Hotch is very worried about Prentice and Reed. And Rossi, who's going to be the one that's actually going down there, shares those fears. He hopes things go smoothly. Yes, that scene could have been an email. (laughs) (laughs) We next cut back into the house and we see Jessica's mother. She's walking around the compound and she passes some guys who are very clearly rigging the explosives. Reed is noting this too. Meanwhile, we see the SWAT team and the BAU team putting on uh, their Kevlar vests and everything, getting ready to make the read, the raid, the read, uh, <laughs> the raid on Reed, the read raid. And uh, Jessica's mother then runs over to Prentice. You know what? You're right. They're getting ready to blow us all up. They're getting ready to kill us all. So she sets Prentice free. Meanwhile, a henchman goes over to Cyrus and says, guess what? Something is up. They look outside And they realize that the FBI lied and they're actually pulling in now for a raid. Cyrus goes outside. He starts to shoot off his gun gun, saying, you know, he's going to put on a show for the press, basically. Yeah, he shoots into the air so that the press will hear the gunshots in the distance and turn their cameras onto the situation. So if they happen to be sleeping at 3 a.m., they will wake up and realize stuff's about to go down. And yeah, the, the raid is, it's a misdirect because they're not actually coming in from the front where the Humvees are, but they 
got their attention there so that they can actually do the raid from the back door and in the tunnel. So it, it, everything's going according to Rossi's plan. Yeah, so the mom lets Prentice know that Reed is still downstairs, though, with Cyrus. They got to hurry, though. They got all, they've got all the women and kids, and they're going to run down to the basement. Uh, Cyrus, after doing the shots, this is the moment of faith. This is it. This is the big moment. And this is a big, basically, a whole, the whole standoff scene. It's a big sort of an action scene, AJ, if you want to sort of describe what's going on. It's just yeah, it's, I mean, chaos it's, of a raid here. It's the chaos of a raid. The, the, the kids all get into the tunnel where they are met with, you know, the, the troops that are coming in, along with Morgan and uh, and Rossi to save the day, and Emily wants to go back in and get Reed. They no, we got to get you out of here. And then they, they, they try to get everybody out, and then, of course, oh no, oh no, Jesse is is upset because her husband's inside, so she's going to run back inside. Now the mother wants to go back inside and get Jesse. And no, yeah. we got to get you out of here. And it's all mayhem's just breaking loose here. But we still have a little bit of time for Reed and Cyrus to do a Bible off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. I also felt like the whole thing was a little easy. Like they got, it seemed like they got out real easy when, once they got all the women and, and kids down to the basement, did you get that feeling or it just seemed that way to me? Well, I would say there's probably not a lot of true believers left. Like they, they got rid of so many people that, you know, they cuts the numbers down. All the kids are now who are only there for insurance. They weren't watching the kids. They don't think the kids are going to run off. So that was an easy ship down. Uh, and their focus was distracted. I, I think it, it makes sense. It tracks, basically. And then, you know, now it's just, all right, now what do we do? What's the last play? And it's, you know, it's Cyrus blowing everything up. I mean, that's the only thing he's got left. And and you are right. Reed is going to stop him with some some Bible verses. He says, uh, Jeremiah 2911, I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to bring you hope and a future. And uh, is blowing yourself up part of the prosperous future that God wants? Cyrus is like, oh, you think you know the word better than me? I guess we got two similar minds at work. And he says, uh, Matthew 10, 24. Do not suppose that I've come to the earth to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You cannot convert my brothers. Yeah, so they basically have a Bible off and... Things go awry a little bit here because all of a sudden Reed has bought enough time for the FBI to come in, do their damage. The police, I should say, come in, do their damage. There's shooting, more mayhem. And our friend Luke Perry gets shot. He drops the detonator that I guess he had in his hand. And we can sigh relief because it's over, AJ, right? Of course, it's completely over until. <laughs> oh no! White little little wifey of of not legal age comes running in, and Jesse says, "Ah, I must finish my husband's work." She picks up the detonator uh, and goes to press that button. But of course, because she's never actually used one of these detonators before, it takes her a point seven seconds as opposed to point two seconds to press it, which is just enough time for me to go. And yes. inexplicably, and is only would happen on a TV show, he's able to get out with Morgan uh, and be completely clear of the explosion 
that somehow now only blows up the front part of the compound and not the entire thing, even though the entire thing was wired. And, and well, I saw them rigging it. Yeah. yeah, there was no time. There was no time for Reed to escape. Reed is dead at this point. Morgan is dead <laughs> yes. at this point. Yes. Um, no, but yeah, a hundred percent. But in, it, that's in the real world on TV land. Reed and Morgan are the last to make it out. But alas, Jesse has killed herself in the explosion. And we see Jesse's mom out there looking scared and panicked and Reed oh, and Morgan come out. They, they did her so dirty. They did her so dirty here because like, yeah. you know, like where, where's, where's Reed? Where's Reed? Where's Reed? There, there's Reed. Oh, hugs. Hugs for Reed. Oh, thank <laughs> yes. goodness. Thank goodness. And, she, and she's looking back. Jesse, where's Jesse? And nobody goes to her at all. They just leave her. Yeah. They're going, where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? Cut to BAU jet. Like, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. And before we get to the, the final scene of the jet, I just want to say it, it, it's, it's really sad because, I mean, sure, uh, you know, the whole explosion and everything and the C4 and, and, and whatnot, what Cyrus is doing. But, I mean, it seemed like he was a nice enough guy. Sure, take away, take away the, the, the things he did as a kid. Okay, that we fine. He's grown up now. Yeah, 15, it's creepy, but he did get the mother's permission. And da, da, da. So I, it seemed like he was he was trying to do the right thing. He, he, was, he was a true believer in what he was saying. <laughs> he didn't kill anybody who didn't want to be there. He let the kids go. He didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I, just, yeah, should, this shouldn't have gone this way, is all I'm saying. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to weep for him, but. Yeah, I mean, there's. There's bad guys who are just psychotic, and then there's bad guys that you feel for because if you put yourself in their shoes, you can kind of see what was happening. And and unfair things do happen to bad people. Yes. You know? So, yeah. Agreed. But, yeah, while the mom is sitting there trying to figure out what's happened to Jesse, boom, we cut to the uh, jet flying back, back as you uh, said. And... Uh, we do, we do get a, a quote as we see the jet flying. This time, uh, it's Prentice who gives us the quote. Reason is not automatic. Those who deny it cannot be conquered by it. Ayn Rand. And uh, we have a little scene, I guess, because supposedly Reed has felt so guilty for letting Prentice get beat up. And she has to comfort him. She has to say, look, I need you to listen to me. What Cyrus did to me, it was not my fault. It was my decision. I would do it again. And Reed looks at her and, and says, thank you. And that's the episode. Yeah. You know, okay. Just don't don't carry this with your kid because we know kid carries it with him a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm okay. I got out. It's all good. Don't worry about don't start it. Any, don't start any habits. <laughs> don't, 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 don't go and have another meeting with the beak. <laughs> yeah. So that was our episode. AJ, what we like to do at the end of episodes is determine via our bowerometer if we think the team has won the episode or not. And how do we feel about uh, this episode Minimal loss. Did our team win the week? All right. Well, I'm going to more often than not believe what the team themselves say during the episode. 
And as this episode was a minimal loss situation, this was a no-win situation. There was no way for them to win this. The only thing they could do is to get as many people out as possible. I say they did a pretty good job of getting as many people out as possible. So this is not a loss. This is just a no decision. This is a draw. But but that's the best case scenario they could have come out with. Very fair. Very fair. All right. Uh, Another thing we like to do once we get to the end of the episode is talk about next week's episode. Oh, yes. (laughs) And have me try to guess what the plot is going to be. AJ, take it away. All right. Mr. Kintad, I ask you, what is the plot going to be for Criminal Minds Season 4, Episode 4, entitled... Paradise. Paradise. Is it A, special guest star Miss DePesto from Moonlighting, Elise Beasley, calls on the BAU for help when a church in her town suddenly loses half of their congregation to evil spirits? Is it B, Special guest star, teen witch herself, Robin Lively, tries to fight off a sexual assault from a serial kidnapper in Nevada. Is it C? Special guest star and Tom Cruise's cousin, William Mapather, may be <laughs> the next victim of a serial killer who hides his crimes by staging car crashes. Or is it D? Special guest star, Wesley Crusher himself, that's right, Will Wheaton, does his best Norman Bates impersonation as a creepy motel owner with a taste for torture. I'm going to simplify this, you know, without saying exactly what the episode was, because all I was focusing on was the special guest star (laughs) of each episode. And my job here is to figure out who of that list of people is likely to be on next week's episode? That's how I'm going to break it down anyway. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I want it so much to be at least Beasley because you don't see Mr. Pesto around a lot. She, po- I've seen her pop up here or there, but uh, I don't think it's going to be her. That would be my preference of those people. Now, the next three people all frequently pop up on lots of different shows, and I wouldn't be surprised to see any of them. However, the one that sounds the most likely to me, AJ, actually, I'm down to two. (laughs) I'll tell you my two so you can tell me if I had one of them right or not. My two are Robin Lively and William Mapather. They both do a lot of these type of shows, I feel. Will Wheaton as well, but I I associate him more with comedy guest spots during his later career. So I am going to go with choice B, Robin Lively. Uh, You can repeat the plot because I already have, I did not write them down and I have forgotten it already, but. Okay, so you're going to go with Robin Lively trying to fight off a sexual assault from a serial kidnapper. Who's on the yes. prowl in Nevada? Yes, that is it. Okay. That is my choice. You did not think it was uh, Tom Cruise's cousin, William Apather, uh, victim of a serial killer who uh, hides 
I just crashed my stage in car crashes. You didn't think it was Will Wheaton doing his Norman Bates impersonation to Creep Motel. And you certainly did not think it was Mr. Pesto calling on the BAU for help with the whole church thing. Which would be weird coming on the heels of this episode, which is essentially a church thing. So? I would say, you know, your gut was pretty good on this one, Kintad. But the correct answer is... Every single one of them except Mr. Pesto. That's right. Will Wheaton as a Norman Bates uh, type hotel owner who is also a serial kidnapper on the prowl in Nevada who kidnaps Robin Lively and William Mapother and <laughs> hides his crimes by staging car crashes. All three. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Got it's, me again. It's a cavalcade of cameos in this one, baby. <laughs> I think it feels like the guest stars are ramping up. I mean, uh, this episode alone had plenty of good guest stars. And now we're, we're talking I'm, about. I'm saying, which is why this is why. So this season this is one of the pinnacle seasons for me in terms of like the guest stars really start to ramp up. And uh, yeah, the fact that we get a trifecta in this one all working together is pre- pretty fun to see. Even the episode itself, maybe not top tier, but uh, certainly the star power raises it to that upper level. Well, that is awesome, and I am looking forward to it. I can't wait. We'll be talking about it soon, I guess. All right, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. As I always say, uh, thanks for, for thanks for joining us. That's what I always <laughs> say. Um, <laughs> I hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know about us. Uh, you can also write to us if you so choose at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Maybe you have uh, another alternative title for this episode or future episodes. That might be fun. You can also follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. I don't think what I have to say is that important. Luke Perry. <laughs>